And let me even just encourage you, we always have our message notes that are up on myshores.church. Today might be one of those days where you say, I just can't keep up with you because I'm going to be powering through a lot of scripture today. You'll notice I typically like reading my scripture directly out of my Bible. I'm going to be bouncing around so much that you'll notice that I've got it up here because I value the word of God, but I'm going to be reading a lot of the scripture off my iPad this morning uh, just because there's a lot of content this morning. So buckle in, stay with me. If you miss anything, the message will be posted tomorrow on YouTube so that you're able to, to watch and catch up. But feel free to go for this note so that you may not be able to jot down all the scripture references. They're already there for you. We're continuing our series, Sure Foundations, today. And we're going to arrive at two core beliefs that our church has, that the Assemblies of God, the fellowship of churches that we belong to have, that begin to separate us from other Christian fellowships and denominations. So far as we've explored the different beliefs of our church, we've talked about things like the scriptures being the inspired word of God, that was week one, and we built everything that we've talked about on that, that if the word of God says it, we believe it. This spoiler alert for today, we are a full gospel church. What that means is if the Bible says it, then the Bible means it today. That scripture tells us that God does not revoke his promises, so if God promised something in scripture, God's going to bring it to fruition. Amen? So that was week one. Then we talked about how we have the one true God that reveals in three parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how we can prove that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was fully God and fully man, that we've explored the fall of man, the plan of salvation, sanctification, and how it makes us holy, how it's instantaneously, but it's also progressive, and why we do water baptism, why we do communion. And there might be some slight disagreements between different uh, fellowships, different denominations on some of these topics, but today's one is one that kind of begins to put a distinct mark of who the Assemblies of God is, who the, the Shores Church is. And we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of the baptism being speaking in tongues. Again, spoiler alert, we're a full gospel church. It happened in the New Testament, and I don't believe that God said, you know what, for this church, for the, the early church, I believe speaking in tongues is a good thing for them, but we're going to get through the writing of the book of Revelation, then I'm going to take it away because those people in the year 2022, they don't really need the full Holy Spirit. They just need like Holy Spirit light. You see, like as soon as I say that, that sounds kind of silly and ridiculous, yet we have this argument that goes on so often within the church. And let me just say this, if the new believers needed it and the new early church needed it, we need it today all the more. We need that full power of the Holy Spirit. And so we get into this argument, and I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I think one of the th reasons why we argue about this as a Christian church so much is, if, is Satan knows, well, they're already following after God. I already lost them anyways. So I want to take away as much of their power as possible. And if I take away as much of their power as possible, they won't take more people with me. It's kind of like Ohio State yesterday. They thought they could take away the run game. But Michigan said, no, I got a whole nother level for you. And the Holy Spirit's kind of like that. Satan said, you know what, I'm going to take away this part of your game. Okay, I'm going to go deep now. And I'm going to make you look even worse than you did before. All right, that's all I'm going to do for today. I just had to. But as we get into the word of God this morning, I want you to repeat after me. Heavenly Father, your word is written in my mind and hidden in my heart. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will seek you with all of my strength. My greatest desire is to be a disciple and to make more disciples. I will live my life According to your word, your word, O oh Lord, is eternal. Foundation number eight is the first one we're going to start with today, and it is the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a special experience following salvation that empowers believers for witnessing and effective service just as it did in New Testament times. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is this special experience, and we can look at it throughout the book of Acts, but really throughout the whole New Testament, and we see how it kind of keeps coming up 
over and over again. That we can look at some individuals being the disciples as they shift really into that apostle role and how they were scared, timid believers who abandoned Jesus on the night that he was being crucified that all of a sudden, just a mere weeks later, are now turning the world upside down. That you have Peter who denies Jesus three times on the night that he uh, is killed and then just weeks later is now preaching into a large enough audience where 3,000 people turn to Jesus in a single moment. We look at this, they are turning their worlds upside down, but also their lives are being turned upside down. And we fight today about this in the church, is saying, well, the baptism was just for the apostles. It was just for the early church, just to get things going. Why would God give them power and not give that same power to us? In fact, Jesus told us as he was going back into heaven, even greater things you will do than me. Not that we're going to have more of Jesus' power than Jesus had, but greater in volume, that we would, as the church would be able to do more things so that we could grow the kingdom and that people would experience and meet Jesus. So why do we argue about this so much? Well, sometimes I think there's a couple reasons why. And I think if we're being honest, a lot of people's arguments will fit into one of these three categories. We haven't experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We've prayed for it, we've sought for it, and it hasn't happened for us. And so we just say, well, that was for the, the New Testament church. I've prayed for it enough and I haven't experienced it, so it can't be real. The second one is this, is that some believers make it look weird so they want no part in it. Now let me just say something. I'm going to pause here for a moment. In January, I'll start my 15th year of either being uh, an interim kids pastor, a kids pastor, a middle school pastor, a youth, a youth pastor, youth admissions pastor, or lead pastor. I've seen some crazy stuff in 15 years. I've seen some people uh, kind of pose some stuff as like, well, this is how the Holy Spirit moves, or this is how the Holy Spirit doesn't move. I've watched one person, God bless her soul, she's with God today, she's a lovely saint, but I would watch her come to first service at Northville Christian, hear the message, and then give a word in the second service to make it look like she knew what the, the message was going to be about. And she meant so well. But she, it would happen. I would watch people, the pastor would finish uh, preaching and would get ready to the altar call and they would interrupt the pastor because all of a sudden I have a word from God. Let me just say something. I'll make one more football analogy. How many of you know when you're getting close to scoring, what does the opposing team typically do? They call a timeout. All of a sudden, it's the end of the game. You're about to kick the game-winning field goal, and the opposing team has three timeouts yet. Right before the ball gets snapped, the opposing coach calls timeout to ice the kicker, to get in their head, to make them think about it. Why do you think all of a sudden something like that would happen at the end of, of a service right before an altar call? Because Satan is trying his best to get you to stop uh, being willing to respond to that message. So sometimes there's people that mean really well. A lot of times when you say Pentecostal, you say charismatic, you say Assemblies of God, you think of people that they're hanging from the chandeliers and they're running around doing Jericho marches and they're doing this and they're doing that and they're dancing up the aisles and they're handling snakes and you're like, handling snakes? Yeah, we, we don't do that. But you get these like, ideas and imagery of, well, this is what it means. No, the baptism of the Holy Spirit just says, hey, I operate in the full power of God, and if God asks me to do something that kind of feels a little weird, I'm going to go ahead and do it because God's God and God's in control. Here's where people mess things up. They take something that happens once and they try to make a doctrine out of it. There is a movement that doesn't really exist anymore, but within Pentecostalism, of they would bring snakes into a service and they would try handling the snakes do you know why? Because Paul shipwrecks and a snake bites him and the poison doesn't hurt him. So they try to make that into a doctrine. Well, we should be able to handle snakes and it won't kill us. We should be able to eat poison and it shall not harm us. But then you say, like, well, there is once where this particular situation happens, so that must mean it happens again. We're all about following after the Holy Spirit, not following after the signs of the Holy Spirit. But notice, if we follow after the Holy Spirit, sometimes the signs are going to follow. And sometimes the signs, well, that kind of feels weird. That kind of looks different. I'm not so sure about that. If it's of God, it's going to be very clear that it's of God. If it's not of God, it's going to be very clear that it's not of God. I've gotten some prophetic words in the past where I'm like, that is spot on. 
And I've gotten some prophetic words in the past where I'm like, where'd you even come up with that? Like, that is the craziest thing that does not line up with anything. And I'm just going to say, if you operate within the gift of the prophetic, just remember what the Bible says happens to those who give false prophecies. It's kind of a painful end. So let's make sure that even as we practice Scripture, we do it with such a way of saying, you know what, I'm going to trust God, I'm going to speak what God says, but I'm going to do it as humbly as I possibly can. So that was the number two, is that sometimes people don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit or they're unsure about it because people have made it look weird. Let's not be a church that makes things look weird. And number three is we just don't want to have our plans turned upside down by God. And I think that's where it falls a lot of times. Well, if all of a sudden I've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit in my life and I'm moving the way God wants me to do, God might ask me to give up something. God may ask me to quit my job. God may ask me to go and talk to that person I don't want to. God might mess up my plans. I hope God messes up our plans. Because if God's messing up our plans, that means God's up to something and God's doing something and God's moving and God's changing things. But so often we're like, well, I like being comfortable in my nice little pre-planned. Why do you think I move communion around so much when I, I do communion? It's in the, the beginning, it's in the middle, it's at the end, it's this week, it's that week, and I move it around because I don't want anything to become a routine. I want to be led by the Spirit. That even during worship services, during that last song, I know what the last song is. You, you might think, oh, I'm pretty sure this will be the last song. I'm already thinking, well, how do I transition? Is God going to speak something to me? Through me, is God going to give a message to somebody? I'm starting to kind of pray and sense, God, what are you trying to do? Because I'm a planner. This message was written two and a half weeks ago. On last Monday, I made all the slides that you're going to see up behind me today. Then I go through and I put all of this into the notes that you could see on myshores.church. And then on Sunday morning, I read through at least two, if not three times. And then I typically will mark up my Bible and put my little post-it notes where everything goes. I know this message before I even begin to preach this message. And I want you to realize that I say it. I want to know it so much, not because I'm trying to plan the Holy Spirit out of a message, but I'm trying to know it so well that if the Holy Spirit wants to mess something up, the Holy Spirit has full permission to so that's, that's where I'm at with this. And so as we go through today, I've rabbit trailed enough already, but I wanna, I'm going to stick a little bit more to my notes because I have a lot that I feel like God wants to say to us today. The next point is this. The Bible describes two baptisms, not one. Matthew 3.11 says this. I baptize you. This is John the Baptist. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John the Baptist is talking about his baptism being in water, but the coming baptism that the Messiah is going to bring is going to be different. It's going to be greater. He's not worthy to carry the sandals of this individual that will be the Messiah. That this baptism is foreshadowed three years into the future because nobody's ready for it yet. But it's coming, and it's not a random event, but it's one that is being intentionally planned out because if you know anything as we value and we study these inspired scriptures, here's the thing that you need to know, that God spends a lot of the front part of this book foreshadowing what's going to be coming when Jesus shows up and then giving us instructions how to live like Jesus. That's kind of the flow of the book of here's Here's how the, you're going to know the Messiah. This is what the Messiah is going to look like. Here's prophecies of the Messiah. Here's kind of little glimpse of what the Messiah is going to be like. Now here's the Messiah. Here's what he does. And now here's how you can live like him. So when you look at this, I want you to realize if God's that kind of a planner, he's foreshadowing stuff for us in advance. And I want to parallel our story to the story of earth. Earth uh, and this is Genesis 1, 1 through 2. Earth was created with a darkness and a void. Genesis 1, 1 through 2 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Darkness covered the earth. The earth was empty, it was void, and it was without form. That we were born into sin. Psalms 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Darkness and sin covered our hearts. Our lives were empty. They were void. We were created with this uh, original desire to be right with God, but sin got in the way, and all of a sudden we we're in this existence with a, a fulfillment that only God could bring. We had this lack of form. We were lost, and we were without purpose and direction. 
For the earth, let there be light. Genesis 1, 2 through 4 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Us, salvation, and Jesus being the light of the world. John 8, 12 says, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Then we get to the flood. The earth uh, experiences Noah's flood. This is Genesis 7, 10 through 11. That after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth in the 600th year of Noah's life. In the second month, on the 17th day of the month, On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were open. You have God's judgment cleansing the earth from sin and evil, and God's mercy, that earth's baptism, that it's a new beginning, that the old earth was buried and the new earth comes forth. How do we know that this is a perfect parallel? Well, water baptism with us. This is 1 Peter 3, 20-21. Because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We get water baptized to make that public declaration of I'm going to follow after Jesus. And that old life, that old sinful life that we gave up now gets buried and we come back up into new life with Jesus Christ. But there's one more step here. The earth purified by fire. Second Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And then we hear this fire baptism that John is talking about. Matthew 3.11, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire as he purifies us so that we're able to do what God's called us to do, and everything that we do will be exposed. Believers are entitled to and should expect and earnestly seek the promise of the baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire according to the command of Jesus. This was the normal experience of the early Christian church. And somehow we got away from it. And why would we get away from it? Because we lose power if we get away from it. So the purpose of the fire baptism is to make us more effective witnesses. So often it can become scary, it can become weird, but it should be normal in the New Testament church. And yes, we are still in the New Testament church because the book of Revelation isn't done yet. We're in the New Testament church until we are in heaven. The great commission that we say every single week before we leave is only able to be truly fulfilled and accomplished when we are experiencing all that is the Holy Spirit. How do I know this? Because when I look at all of these early apostles, they ran away when they didn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they led boldly as soon as they had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's an impossible mission on, its, on our own. We must be led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was baptized in water and of the Holy Spirit. And it comes right in Matthew 3. We keep kind of going, we've went to this passage twice. We're going to go a couple verses later. This is Matthew 3, 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. That's the moment where Jesus receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you also remember some of the other Gospels talk about, you hear the audible voice of God saying, this is my Son in which I am well pleased. We, and we talked about this in that second week of this series, where we can see God the Father as he speaks, the Holy Spirit as it descends upon Jesus, and then Jesus, fully God, fully man, that he is receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that this is the initiation into his ministry. And how can I prove this? How many miracles did Jesus do before this moment? Zero. It wasn't until Jesus was water baptized and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit that he started doing miracles. He started doing his ministry. And I want you to realize this, is if Jesus needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit, why do you think that you don't? Are you better than Jesus? 
Don't raise your hands. But Jesus needed it. Jesus was sending it up for us on that behalf. And I love just the imagery because so often we, we have this picture of, oh, the dove descended upon Jesus. When we get into the wording in Acts chapter 2, just, I mean, hear it again. It says, in the Spirit of God, descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. When we look at Acts chapter 2 and we see the tongues of, of fire descending upon them. It's the same language. Instead of saying a dove, it's saying a tongue of fire this time. But it's the same imagery that all of a sudden from heaven, something descended upon them. And then all of a sudden they were filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. With the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes such experiences as an overflowing fullness of the Spirit, John 7, 37 through 39 and Acts 4, 8. A deepened reverence for God, Acts 2, 43 and Hebrews 12, 28. An intensified consecration to God and dedication to his work, Acts 2, 42. A more active love for Christ, for his word and the loss, Mark 16, 20. Supernatural boldness as witness in the life of Peter, both before and after, Acts chapter 2. Let's kind of keep diving into that idea with Peter. That Peter before and after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Most of us find Peter likable and lovable from the moment he's first introduced in Scripture because he, he has these natural strengths. He was outgoing. He was transparent. He was enthusiastic. But most importantly, he loved Jesus. You could look at Peter and say, okay, you get it wrong sometimes, Peter, but like, you love Jesus. You're hanging out with him. You're spending time with him. You're a pretty nice guy. But because Peter was impulsive and strong-willed, how many of you are strong-willed in the room? If you're strong-willed, don't raise your hand. See, like some of you are like, but I want to. His faults were also quite noticeable. That's what enables us to see a contrast after he's baptized with the Holy Spirit. Because of the contrast, Peter's example and writings are a great inspiration. Before he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, he denied Jesus three times, he attempted murder, and his faith was weak. Afterwards, he preached and 3,000 were saved. He lives the rest of his life as a bold, effective witness. He dies a martyr's death. He was intentionally crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to die the same way as his Savior. And we can have the same spirit living in us, but so often we reject it because, oh, that, that person looks a little weird. That's a little bit crazy. I'm not so sure about that. Does God really want me to do that? I kind of like living life my own way. We make up all these reasons when in reality God wants to move in our lives in incredible ways. And the reason it's not happening, it's not happening in our personal life, it's not happening in our family life, it's not happening in our workplace, it's not happening in our church, is because, well, I remember when it happened once and that was kind of weird, so I don't want to do that again. How about instead of saying, you know what, maybe that one time where it was weird, it was mismanaged, and the pastor in that environment that I was in didn't handle things appropriately. And because they didn't handle things appropriately, that kind of felt weird. But let's, let's not throw the spirit away because a man or a woman who was leading a moment didn't do it appropriately. Let's keep trusting that the Holy Spirit's going to keep showing up and doing and leading the appropriate ways. There's nine gifts of the Spirit. We see this in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. It says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So you have all these gifts that are being given by the Holy Spirit as he wills, and they're all for the sake of being effective witnesses on earth. So we see the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, the gift of prophecy, of faith, the gift of healings, the working of miracles, the discerning of spirits, the gift of tongues, interpretation in tongues. And so we see all these things that are given to us in an addition, we're going to get there in a moment, but also that personal gift of speaking in tongues. But kind of put a pin in that, we'll come back to that. We see these giftings that are used for the sole purpose of leading people to Christ. Because I'm, I'm going to get there next week when we talk about healing. But one of the things I need you to know about healing is God is much more interested in our eternal destination than your physical healing. 
And when, you, when you're dealing with an issue that needs, God, would you show up? Would you physically heal me? You want that healing. That healing's important. That healing matters. It's crucial. But God would much rather have you in eternity with him than your temporary body healed. But your temp- we have that ability of praying for the temporary body to be healed so that people will put their faith in God. And when they put their faith in God, now all of a sudden they can spend eternity with God. And this current day is all about bringing as many people to heaven with us as possible. And so we, we look at these giftings and it empowers the church, but it empowers us to do the call that we're given, the great commission, and to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Christ's last words to us weren't go into all the world and heal as many people as you can. It was go into the world and make disciples and baptize them, allow them to make public declarations that I'm following after Jesus and I'm living my life differently. That's what we're called to do as the church. And so when we look at this baptism of the Holy Spirit, we have to remember that it is this empowering gift from God the Father that's promised to every believer. We see that in Matthew 3.11, Luke 11.13, Luke 24.49, Acts 2.33, Acts 2.38. If all these moments says, hey, this Holy Spirit baptism is coming, this baptism by fire is coming, that the Messiah is going to bring something different, why would there be so many references of there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit that's coming, but it's only going to be for us for about the next hundred years? and then those people uh, hundreds and thousands of years in the future, they're on their own. they got to figure it out. Does that sound like your God? Because that doesn't sound like my God. That that doesn't sound like the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God that, you know, I'm going to help out these people, but the rest of them, they're on their own. That does not sound like God whatsoever. So this leads to another question, though, is, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit a separate event from salvation according to the inspired Word of God? And it is. You see, we do receive the, the baptism of the Holy, or we receive the Holy Spirit upon salvation because the Spirit convicts us of sin and leads us towards righteousness and dwells among us. We see that in John 6, 44, uh, John 14, 17, Romans 8, 9, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. No one becomes a Christian without the gracious work of the Holy Spirit. But how many of you know that there is a difference between being in uh, relationship with and being empowered by someone. For example, let's say that you're all here in church this morning, and you are, that you're receiving teaching from me this morning that the the Holy Spirit gave to me that I'm giving to you. So you're receiving something from me this morning. But how many of you know that if you were to make that conscious decision of saying, you know what, I'm just not going to come on Sundays. I also want to join an anchor group when they start back up and advertising for that's going to be coming in the next couple of weeks for our January, February session. Sign up. Be a part of one. Dig deeper into God's word. That all of a sudden you say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper. You know what, there's opportunity to serve in the church. I'm going to serve in the church. That, you know what, I want to start giving into the church. I want to invest in the church. I want to sow into the church because I believe in the ministry. I want to see that this church grow and impact more people. All of a sudden, when you start doing more, do you realize the fact that it's not just you coming to church, but it's you being the church? That there's another level to it. And that's the same way with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You experience the Holy Spirit through salvation, but you receive a whole other level of power when you allow the Holy Spirit into your life. And so that gets to this point that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate event from salvation according to the inspired word of God. Remember, every single week of this uh, series is building upon that first message that the, the word of God is inspired and we build our entire faith and our journey off of this book. Nothing else, this book. Acts 8, 12 through 17 says this. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So how can you say that, well, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's that's the same thing as receiving the Holy Spirit upon salvation because Philip is preaching to the individuals in Samaria, not even Jews. 
So some people will say, well, this, this experience was only for the apostles. It's even happening for the Gentile believers. This was not just an apostle thing. This was not just a Jewish thing. This was for all people because what did Jesus tell us? To go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. All of a sudden, here we are at Samaria, and people are hearing the word of God. They're receiving Jesus. They're being baptized and all of a sudden, here comes a separate moment where here comes Peter and John and they're laying hands and they're receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is a separate occurrence. And to deny it means that you're coming into disagreement with the inspired word of God. So is this book inspired or is this book not inspired? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. And if they're receiving something different, why would we not want that same experience? So then it kind of leads to another question is, can people receive eternal life in heaven without the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And if so, why should we be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Let me say this, receiving eternal life is not dependent on being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's not. There will be plenty of people who are in heaven one day who love Jesus, they follow Jesus, and they weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit. But how many of you have ever had like a device in your home before where you knew the batteries were kind of dying in it and sometimes it would work and sometimes it wouldn't work and then you just don't change the batteries and you kind of hope for the best? Like our deadbolt on our, our front house that is battery powered and the battery, it just eats batteries alive. And so when we change the batteries in it, it works perfectly. Like you punch in the code and then it's like unlock, lock, perfect. And then like three weeks later, it starts kind of working like every other time. And you're thinking like, well, I don't really want to change the batteries again. But changing the batteries is the only way to actually give it the right power so that it can actually accomplish its job. And you kind of get to the spot where it finally starts working or stops working and you say, you know what, I'm just going to open the garage door and I'm going to go through the garage door because that battery power lock isn't on the garage door lock. So I still have a way of getting into the house, but it's not always the most convenient way. When it would be more convenient to just walk in the front door, I'm going to remove that as an option and I'm going to find the side way in. That's the same kind of thing with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You don't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to make it into heaven. You just make it a lot harder for yourself because you're not operating in the full power of the Holy Spirit and you make it more difficult to bring more people with you. Because how many of you know that if you, especially if you have an attached garage, your garage isn't always the cleanest place in your house, Right? Like, especially, like, wintertime, it might be a little bit cleaner because you want to try and get both cars in the garage. But during the summer, that's when all of our bikes are down. That's when everything is on, is on the ground. And we're, we're guaranteed we're only getting one vehicle tops in our garage during summertime. And it's the same kind of thing. How about you wait at the front door. I'm going to open the garage, and I'll go through the garage, and I'll come through the house, and then I'll let you in the front door once I went out of my way to fix the problem. The baptism of the Holy Spirit says, you know what, forget the garage. We're going in the front door because that lock is going to work every single time. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. And so we don't need to receive the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues in order to be in heaven, but man, it makes it easier, and man, we can bring more people with us. And let me just say this. If you've ever heard someone say, unless you've spoken in tongues, you will not go to heaven, they're not preaching this because the only way to make it into heaven is accepting Jesus into our life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It doesn't say and speak in tongues. But if we have the full power of Jesus, man, it makes it so much easier to go and it's so much easier to take more people with us. When we get into Acts 1, 6 through 9, it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of the, their sight. Last words. Last words are, go and wait and you'll receive power. How many of you know somebody's last words matter and that they're important and they have meaning and we should be paying attention to them? And if those are what Jesus' last words are the, on his first coming, we should listen to them and we should take them to heart. That every believer should seek and cherish this personal encounter with the Holy Spirit. 
That leads to foundation number nine then, is speaking in tongues, the initial physical evidence. This is something that it matters to the assemblies of God. And this is something where I want to make sure I articulate well because this is going to wind up on YouTube. So it's always important to articulate things well. Speaking in tongues is the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is an important doctrine to the assemblies of God. And here's why. We know that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And I, one of the things I love about that passage is it says the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits, the fruit of the Spirit. That means if I go up to the tree, I'm not picking off a love fruit and a joy fruit and that there are all these different fruits on the tree. The fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So when you pluck one of those fruits, you get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You get all those things when you pull one fruit off of that tree. But how many of you know that sometimes, if we're going to say the physical, the initial, the first physical evidence we see of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is you're more joyful. How many of you have met a joyful person that isn't a Christian before? They exist. They're out there. How many of you have met Christians before where they're not joyful? I have. They're out there. I'm not pointing fingers. But how many of you have met someone that's not a Christian that's patient? How many of you met a Christian that's not patient? And so if we are in the Holy Spirit, we should have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. We should have all those things. They should be in existence. And we should be growing in those things. But there's no physical evidence. Like, his joy meter is higher today than it used to be. I feel like I can see more patience. No, those are things that are kind of byproducts. But when you say speaking in tongues, that is a physical evidence. If you are sitting, watching, and listening to me today, you can tell I'm speaking English. If all of a sudden I started speaking in German, that would be physical evidence that something is different, that he's speaking in German now because I can hear it, I can see it, his, that his communication is different. And so that's what they're experiencing here. And so the gift of tongues is simply the Holy Spirit giving you the supernatural ability to speak in a foreign language you have no knowledge of or ability to speak on your own. But, but God can't do that. All the, are, are the scriptures inspired or are they not? Because so many people are like, well, that's just gibberish. How many of you know that when someone speaks a different language than you, like French, how many of you have taken French before? Okay, a couple of hands. Those of you that like, can, can, took French, can you actually speak French or did you do like two years of German like me where you can kind of like, I can ask like where the bathroom is and say hello, but I can't speak German. And so for so many of us, if all of a sudden someone here began speaking French or Mandarin or um, Spanish or whatever the language is, you see, it would sound like they're speaking gibberish. And we're like, why? Speak this so I can understand you. It's the same thing with this baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in a different language. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's gibberish. And so many Christians will just shove it aside and say, well, that's gibberish. Here's the thing I want you to, to realize. God foreshadows things in the Old Testament that he executes on in the New Testament. What's one of the first things that happens in the book of Genesis? All of a sudden, the people come together. They start building a Tower of Babel because they want to be able to reach God. They want to be able to say, look at what we can do on our own power. What does God do at the Tower of Babel? He confuses their languages. Now, all of a sudden, all these people speak different languages, and God picks one of those nations, the Jewish people, that he's going to bring the Messiah through so that he can bring salvation to all people. Isn't it interesting that when they're in the midst of sin, God separates their languages and then in the moment when the Messiah has come, the Messiah has died on the cross, the Messiah has been resurrected, and the Messiah is now saying there's going to be power for you to be able to go out and witness to all nations, that God brings back the ability of language so that all mankind can be unified. And one of the things that I love is that when we look at the book of Revelation and it talks about heaven one day, it says every tribe, tongue, and nation. When we make it to heaven, there will be Mandarin speaking. There'll be English speaking. There'll be Spanish speaking. There'll be fill in the blank language, but you'll be able to understand all of it. You'll speak in English, and someone who's Chinese will be able to understand you. They'll speak back in Mandarin, and you'll be able to understand them. Because all of a sudden, all the tribes, tongues, and uh, nations are brought 
back together again. So God does it and confuses the languages in Genesis. He brings it back together in the book of Acts. And now we are to go out and to make disciples in all the world. Because now we're not building our kingdom, we're building his kingdom. We see two types of tongues that are mentioned. We see an earthly language. For instance, your native language, if it's English, then the ability to speak in Mandarin or Japanese or Spanish. And I see this play out when I talk to missionaries and they say that they were in their nation, they heard someone who was what we would say would be speaking in tongues, but they're actually speaking another earthly language. They have no idea what they're saying, but they're praying in another language. But we, we look at this, Acts 2, 4 through 12, this is what it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Uh, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Figura, Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? All of a sudden, God brings this ability to bring the languages back together again. He undid it at the Tower of Babel because man was trying to build their kingdom. And now he brings it back together so that man can build God's kingdom. And then we see a heavenly language. This is the other type of tongue that he can give that's a language directly from heaven. This is where so often people are like, well, that's just a, uh, that's gibberish. And it's, it's an encrypted prayer language that is a direct communication between your spirit and God's spirit that bypasses human intellect, reasoning, and demonic interference. The idea is that this gift of tongues will be uh, used in its proper context in a service sometimes with interpretation. And God gives a deliberate message just like a word of prophecy. And let me just even pause for a moment. When baptism of the Holy Spirit comes into play and all of a sudden you have individuals that are giving words of knowledge and words of wisdom and tongues and tongues with interpretation, I'll let you know, because I referenced it earlier, this service has been being planned for about two and a half to three weeks out that I've been through these notes probably about five or six times now that we have a meeting talking about what music are we going to do and how we're going to do it and our announcement's going to be at the beginning, the middle, the end. How are we going to do all this? All so that we can be ready if the Holy Spirit wants to move. Now, some people have, in the past have said, well, you're, you're squashing the Holy Spirit. No, I'm, I'm making room for the Holy Spirit because if the Holy Spirit's speaking to me, the Holy Spirit's not going to pull an audible on me and say, you know what, let's just let's throw Scott a curveball here and really try to mess him up when he's been praying and seeking my presence for weeks now for this hour and a half. We're going to throw him a curveball and have random person in the room just start all of a sudden like yelling out like a word of prophecy. Here's what I, if you say, you know what, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, that God's giving me this, this message, my simple request is this, come forward, tell me, because it might be a message for me personally to give me direction of how I am to preach. It might be a word for an individual, and I know that individual that it's supposed to go directly to. It might be a moment where I'm going to get you a microphone right then and there. It might be a moment where I say, you know what, that word fits perfectly after my second point, so I'm going to bring you up after my second point because I want to make sure that I slot that exactly where the Holy Spirit wants it. And God might have given you that message, but God intends for it to be used at a particular time that you don't know because you don't know what's in my notes. So that's my request is that if you say, you know what, I feel like God's given me this because if we have a message in tongues for the congregation, it needs to have an interpretation because otherwise it just is gibberish if we don't have an interpretation with it. So let me encourage you. I have zero desire to squash the Spirit. I want to see the Spirit be used the way the Spirit is scripturally said the Spirit is supposed to be used. Amen? At the same time, I operate, I've had that initial physical um, experience of speaking in tongues that you'll notice for me, like there's, there's some pastors I know that they feel so incredibly comfortable 
praying in tongues on a microphone. I'll be honest, I've done it sometimes. I don't have this like, release because I don't want to ever make it about me. And I'm not just saying that other pastors do, but like, you'll hear me in a moment where we, we had that at the end of worship in, before I kind of prayed into the service portion of this morning, that if you were up close enough to, me hear, uh, to hear me praying, you would have heard me praying in tongues. I don't like making a spectacle or making a show, but at the same time, we need to be ready to if, have that prayer language where we just begin praying out and, and trusting that we're going to pray in a way that God can hear us. And it, it doesn't matter. It's almost in those feelings like when you know that somebody is going through something and you're just at a loss of words. That's when you pray in the Spirit because the Spirit will go through your words and say exactly what needs to be said so that God can be glorified. And you say, you know, I don't need to be the one to pray the magic thing or say the, the right things in the right order. I'm just going to trust that the Holy Spirit, that I'm going to focus on God, and I'm just going to just let the words fly. But let me encourage you if, you, if you've sought that baptism of the Holy Spirit before and you've just never experienced it, sometimes you just got to let go of control. Because if you're trying to hold on to control, if you're trying to say, well, God, this is going to be the moment, and this is how it's going to happen, and this is what my prayer language is going to sound like, you're in control, you're looking for yourself, you're not looking for the glorification of God. And if you want to know why it's not happening, it's because you're making it about yourself. I want to share a message, because before being a lead pastor, I was a kid's pastor, I was a youth pastor, and I've prayed with kids and youth, and we've been around altars at Fahola, and one kid watching their friend right next to them pray, and then all of a sudden the prayer language starts flowing, and then they're praying and nothing's happening. And I've, I've been on that joy side of the person who received and the, joy, or the sadness side of somebody who hasn't. I want to read you a text message that I got about a year ago. And it's from one of uh, Annie and I's favorite students, any of my students that are watching this right now. I'm not saying who it is. So you're all my favorite students. But here's a text message. Hey, just wanted to text you this before I forgot again. About 10 years ago at Fahola, the speaker was preaching on the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and I was struggling so hard trying to receive it myself, to the point of ugly crying about it. You took me into the tabernacle lobby and talked it out with me and called me down, and you said something I haven't forgotten since. If one day this is the one thing my daughter is struggling with, I wouldn't even be worried. And in the years and years since then, whenever I felt myself shrinking away from a sermon about speaking in tongues, I remember those words, and it helps keep me in. And I have been struggling with it since then, thinking I wasn't enough or my faith wasn't right, but this Sunday, I finally let go of my control issues and let God have full reigns. And 10 years later, I got the gift of speaking in tongues. And after service, all I could think about was you and your patience with me and your wisdom and understanding. So I wanted to say thank you, and I love you and Annie and appreciate you uh, both so much that all you guys meant to me as a kid and a teen. See, because it's not about this like moment or this location. And as we're, we're coming to a close uh, right now, uh, worship team, go ahead and, and come back up. But here's the thing that I want you to hear is we're going to leave a little bit of time right now to re receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the end of service. But what I really want to encourage you with is, one, baptism of the Holy Spirit can happen anywhere. I think sometimes it's a little bit more prone to happen in a church service simply because there, there is a little bit of an atmosphere. I hate generating atmospheres and I hate manipulating emotions. Uh, I'm just not a fan of that because I've watched people abuse it. And I think one of the reasons that baptism of the Holy Spirit feels weird at times is because we're trying to manipulate other people's emotions. I've had zero interest in that. I want people to receive because they're seeking the, the Holy Spirit and they're seeking God to move. And so this morning there's going to be the opportunity, but I want to encourage you that if you've never received before, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit away from a service. I was in a, a youth retreat my junior year in high school. We were at the altar. Everybody else is receiving. I'm not receiving. I've been looking for years. And I remember I left the room. Everybody else is at service. I went back to the cabin by myself, probably broke rules. But I remember getting upset with God and like started audibly praying of God. Like, I'm just so upset. And then all of a sudden the prayer language happened. It happened when I got away by myself and all of a sudden the prayer language started coming. And here's the thing. Remember, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of it, the initial physical evidence is speaking in tongues. This is what I see so often. And you're, you're praying in your mind, but like your, your lips are hardly even moving. And you're no, nothing's coming out. If you want an initial physical evidence, you actually have to do something. You have to begin speaking out. You're like, well, I might sound weird. 
we got to get that weird out and say, I want to sound normal. I want to sound the way a New Testament Christian sounds. And if God gives me that prayer language, God, I give you full control. I release my control and I give the control to you, God, because I want to be able to accomplish your purpose. See, here's the thing. is Spiritual gifts will cease one day, but that day isn't today. That day isn't today. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12 says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Perfection is the eternal state, not 2022. We still need the spirit. We still need the prophetic. We still need the tongues. We still need the words of wisdom and the words of knowledge. We still need the gifts of healing. All that stuff has not passed away yet because heaven is not here. We are not yet in a spot of perfection. And when we get there, that can all pass away because who needs tongues when I'm in the presence of God? because now I can just speak directly to him. Who needs healing when I'm in the presence of God? Because there will be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more disease. We don't need all of this stuff that we have now when we get to heaven. But right now, these gifts have not passed. That, what kind of God would we serve and say, you know what? Early church needed it, but later church, right towards the end when everything's about to get bad and we need to win as many people as possible because Jesus is going to come again, they don't need it. We need it all the more. And so this morning as we just, we're going to go into uh, the song, Build My Life. I want to take a little bit of time around the altar, and you can take as much time as you need this morning. I'll eventually come up and I'll, I'll close service in a little bit. But feel free to take the time and just come to the altar and praise God and lift his name up on high. If you're seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's no reason that this morning can't be your moment. But let's just say that if you're seeking and you've never had it and this morning doesn't happen for you, Take time on Thursday to intentionally fast and take time to be here on that uh, Thursday night for that prayer service. Clear your schedule, do what you need to do because here's the thing that I know that most times where I've seen the baptism of the Holy Spirit happen, it hasn't been in a big production moment even on a Sunday morning. It's in those quiet moments on a Thursday night prayer meeting where you can just grab your corner of the sanctuary and you can get one-on-one -on -one with God for an hour and a half and then all of a sudden something happens. So right now, would you just stand with me? We're going to worship God. But here's the thing. We believe in the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe that there's initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues. And I want our church to operate in the full power that is Jesus Christ so that we can go and seek and save those who are lost so they can come into a proper understanding of Jesus Christ and have their life changed and transformed for eternity. Amen? And let me even just say this, because I'll come up and I'll pray behind people. I want this to be your moment with God. But even if you say, you know what, like I've been filled before, but I just, I've, I've just fallen away from seeking the, the Holy Spirit because things are weird and I haven't wanted to, to push. Just come to the altar. Seek God again. Seek God fresh because God wants to move in your life.